Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. If you keep your Bible open, we're going to be in what I think, anyway, is a remarkable passage. And uh, let's see what you think by the end of this. Um, I want to start by asking you a question, though. And uh, it's, a, it's a simple question, but who wants to be happy? Like, Richard's already said to you, I know Richard does a bit, yeah, Shiva wants to be happy. Who, I mean, it's a, it's a ridiculous question. It's on the same level of, like, who would like to live? But I would like to suggest it's even more fundamental than even whether you want to live, because some people, sadly, contemplate making decisions about not living based on the fact that they actually want to pursue happiness. Blaise Pascal, the French philosopher, he says this, that all seek happiness. He says, this is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to, the, going to war and others avoiding it is the same desire in both, attending with different views. They will never take the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action, even those, he says, who hang themselves. Which is pretty stark. But if you boil it down to an everyday decision, whether you have that chocolate cake or you say, I'm not going to have the chocolate cake, he's saying it's actually based on this. Which option will make me happy? Do I want the chocolate cake or do I want the kind of figure that will evolve if I don't have the chocolate cake? Everything is based around this. But how are we doing? Is the question. How are we doing with this project happiness that we are all involved with? Because previous generations almost took this for granted. It was a kind of by the by. And if you talked about would you like to be happy, we kind of look at you quizzically like, I've just got to survive and do my job. But now we're putting millions, if not billions, into an industry and magazines and books and have guides and blogs. How to attain happiness. We have a World Happiness Index now, which tells you how happy your nation is. We have government uh, ministers who are paid to ensure that we are happy. Did you know that? What an incredible thought. There are people out there you've never met trying to make sure you're happy. And how are we doing? Anecdotally, I would suggest we are not doing very well. And the more we seem to go after happiness, the more it seems to elude us. Just think about it in your own life. And even when we do get happiness, there is this horrifying thought that actually the happiness that we do get does not last. So one, one lady, a psychologist, Amy Bloom, she says the real problem with happiness is neither with its pursuers, that's you or me, nor their books, the kind of those who help you try and get there. It's, it's happiness itself. Happiness is like beauty. Part of its glory lies in its transience. To hold happiness is to hold the understanding that the world is passing away from us, and that the petals fall and the beloved dies. So even if you were to get happiness, it is already falling through our fingers. And we know some of that experience, don't we? The holiday, the experience, whatever it might be. And it's good, but does it really touch the thing at the bottom of our heart? Maybe, maybe not. And it's a surprise to some to know that the Bible is actually filled with this desire and this quest to find joy and happiness. Now this Bible, one of the main themes of this book is actually how do men and women, people like you and I, we've always been the same, our hearts have been the same, technology's changed, our hearts have been the same, we've all wanted happiness, and this book is filled with men and women who have looked for happiness in this life. The difference is this 
this Bible, it talks about finding that joy in a very different place to the way that our culture today talks about finding joy. Because today, in our pursuit of joy and happiness, basically, it's, it's built around rearranging the circumstances of your life so that they're favourable for you. And there are articles about, you know, put positive people around your life, you know, eat this kind of diet, this will be good for your mood, get this much sleep, find a job that interests you, all this kind of stuff. It's not brain science, you know, you still pay £5 for the magazine to find out, to be told the same thing once again. But it's all about rearranging the circumstances of your life. And even, uh, like, Eastern spiritualities like Buddhism, that on the surface look like what is not to do with circumstance, is actually still in a reaction against what is going on around you. It's actually still dealing with the circumstances and trying to withdraw from the circumstances around you. And yet the Bible, and Paul himself here, has this kind of happy indifference to the circumstances around him, so that he can deal with riches and with poverty, with freedom and with jail, and in the same breath say, I am always Rejoicing, Why? Because he has not found his happiness in the circumstances of his life, but in Christ. Christ Jesus, who is above his circumstances, who is beyond his circumstances, who controls his circumstances, who is more glorious and better by far, he would say, than anything that he could arrange in his life. And so what I want to do today is, is really just follow this man. Because for me, for one, I'll... I would love to experience some of the joy that Paul seems to experience in this letter. That is not based on the circumstances of his life, but is based in Christ Jesus. And my prayer is as we look at some of the anatomy of this man's attitude and his ambitions and the internal workings of his heart, as we look at the psyche of this man, some of his joy in Christ will become our joy in Christ. And I just want to say to you, if you're not a Christian here and you're just looking in, you're exploring what is Christianity, let me just say this, because it feels like this is the kind of option that you've got. So you can become a Christian and follow Jesus, or you could be happy. That's kind of what the world says, like, this is your options. Would you like to be a Christian, or would you like to actually be happy and do the things that you really want about? Would you like to become a moral person? Would you like to come to church? You'll be sorted out. You become a better person. Or would you like to be happy? But actually Christianity brings these things together and says to be a person who follows Jesus is to be someone who is filled with overflowing joy. The choice is not Jesus or happiness. The choice is how deep and how lasting do you want your happiness? Because Jesus says, if you come to me, my joy will be in you and your joy will be full. And Christ, when he is the source of our joy, when he is the source of our happiness, we're told in Hebrews 11 that he is from yesterday, today, and forevermore the same. So that whether your circumstances change, if the source of your joy is in Christ, there will be an overflowing, eternal source of joy for your soul that will never run out. So the offer to become a Christian is to simply come and find a, a greater, deeper, more lasting Joy. I know for some people that's a quizzical thought. Like it doesn't feel like that a lot of the time. Which is why we need to dive into this man, Paul. Paul was a remarkable guy. I mean, at this point, when he's writing this letter to this church that he loves, he was about 60 years old, and he spent about half of his life, 30 years, three decades, 
doing the thing that he loves to do. He wouldn't have called it a career, but from our point of view, we might call it a career. He has given himself to telling people about Jesus, starting new communities, planting churches, and he's lived a remarkable life. He's lived this life where he's had thousands and thousands listening to him. I mean, it's not all being plain sailing and health and wealth, far from it. But he has had a major impact on his generation. Wherever he's gone, there's been fame and there's been notoriety. There's been celebrity and there's been stonings. There have been people who have been for him and people who have been against him. But he had such an impact that us like today, we're still talking about him and his ministry and his letters. He lived a significant life and he loved what he did. He took great joy in all that he was about in starting churches and telling people about Jesus, even with the stonings and the beatings. He loved it. And yet when we come to this point, the end of his life, as he's contemplating, everything has come to this juddering halt. His career has been stripped from him. Everything that he's given himself to for the last 30 years has been taken from him. And he, he is alone with an imperial guard from the Roman Empire, chained to this guard in a prison cell without any awareness of what's going on in the outside world. Imagine that 30 years of what you've been building is suddenly cut from you. And you think, okay, I mean, if that was me, like, I would feel like I would have some minor, stroke, major meltdown at this point. And yet, what does Paul say? He's been rejoicing in the last 30 years of what he's been about. Everything comes to a halt. He's by himself in a jail. And he says what? In verse 18, yes, and I will rejoice. So he said, Paul, everything's been taken from you except what? His happiness. Because his happiness wasn't built in his career, it was built in Christ. It wasn't built in his circumstances, it was built in Christ. So it was never about the things that he was doing. So it could be stripped from him, and there is still this overflowing joy that is flowing from his heart because his aim and his goal is Christ. He is the source of his joy. And so he says later again, in chapter 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. He's inviting the, the Christians in Philippi. You do what I'm doing. Don't rejoice in your circumstances. Rejoice in the Lord. He is the one who has us. He is the one who has our heart. So I just want to follow some of his thoughts in this passage from chapter 1. The first thing is this, and this is, this is part of what it looks like to live with a kind of joy that cannot be corrupted or taken from you. He says, I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. And commentators here, they're, they're a bit like puzzled, because is Paul talking about here, like, I, I believe that through you praying for me, I'm going to get out of jail and carry on doing the thing that I want. Or is he saying here something deeper? Because the word that he uses here for deliverance is the same word that in every other place in the New Testament is translated as salvation. It's this ultimate sense, I'm going to be taken from all of the drama and the pain and the darkness of the sin of this world, and I'm going to be taken to Christ. And commentators go two ways on this, but I think when you look at the context of this, Paul is not here talking about, like, please, if you pray for me, then I'm going to get out of jail, because he seems to be happily indifferent to whether he stays in jail or gets out of jail. That is kind of by the by for him. What he's talking about here is what is going to happen to me is going to turn out for my ultimate salvation. This is what's going to take me to my goal, whom is 
Christ. It's not about when getting out of jail or not being in jail. It's about Christ Jesus. This is the same man who wrote the words in Romans 8.28. For those who God loves, all things work together for our good. Everything is working out. So he can say, like, whether I'm jail or whether I'm out of jail, this is all turning out for my salvation. What kind of life you would live and how indifferent you might begin to be to the ups and downs of how your boss is treating you or how things are going at work or how crushed or over, overwhelmed you're feeling right now. Because, you know, actually all of this under God's sovereign and kind hand is leading me to my salvation, whom is Christ, whom is the source of my joy anyway. Ease will take me to Christ under God's hand. Pain and jail will take me to Christ under God's hand. It doesn't matter which. So Paul lives with this happy indifference to his circumstances. And he says in verse 20, As it is my eager expectation. And if I was writing this, it would be like, My eager expectation that God will look at all the good that I've done for the last 30 years and get me out of this jail because I've really worked hard for him and he deserved, I deserve one. No, 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 what does he say? He says, it's my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, what's his eager expectation? Christ will be honoured in my body. My hope, Paul says, while chained to a Roman soldier. Like, (laughs) my hope is not that I'm getting out of here, is that Christ will be honoured, that this Roman soldier will look at my body and my life my attitude and how I am behaving in this moment and he will see there is a being beyond this man Paul who is being honoured that Christ is living for beyond his circumstances he's saying whether by life or death in my body my prayer is that Christ will be honoured just imagine that I mean imagine being a Roman soldier watching this man like happily indifferent to whether he's going to die shortly or not I could get out of jail he's probably telling the probably looking Roman soldier I could go out and die tomorrow. I'm, I'm happy because I'm getting Christ. I go out, let me free. I'm happy. I get more Christ. Either way, it's a win-win situation. This is an amazing man. But what he's not talking about here, he says, I want to honour Christ. He's not saying, I want to make Jesus look better because at the moment he's got a PR issue. People don't really like him, so I'm just going to try and like, make him look better than he actually is. Like we do that with human celebrities and social kind of look let's put some filters on Jesus so that he looks slightly better. Don't need to be the real Jesus, but no, to honor Christ is to know that he is infinitely beautiful and glorious. And is I want to use my life and my words to make sure that other people know just how wonderful he really is. That he is a treasure beyond this world. And I want my life somehow to reflect that. So when you come to meet me, I want you somehow to get a sense that there is a God beyond Daniel whom he is honouring and who is better than him. There is a God beyond him. There is a God beyond Paul. That if you look at Paul's life, actually he's putting a spotlight on someone else. And that's Christ. That's Jesus. He's saying, actually I don't want you to look at me because my life is about someone else. So he says, through life or death. So if he's living, Paul would say, but the Lord's love is better than life. In the best of my moments, this is the best, the highest joys of this life, whatever it might be. I can say in that moment of great joy in this life, but Christ is even better. His love is more preferable to all the joys of this world. 
And yet if he's suffering, and if he's in jail, he will say, in this place of pain, yet Christ, he is enough for me. I have all of heaven. All of the, the, the treasures of heaven has been emptied and given to me. So these momentary afflictions, they're passing. If you wanted to know what, you know, what is Trinity Church London really about? If you're new, you're looking at anything. What is this church really about? If you were to take every, every, like, strip back everything, just take it back to the foundations. What is it that we exist for as a church? We exist for this. That eagerly, with eager expectations, Christ may be honoured through us as a community. That you would come to this community, that you might be a part of this community, and not go away thinking, no, they're kind of cool, they're okay, or you might not like us at all, that's totally fine, just don't tell me that. <laughs> but actually, Christ, I've met a being, a spiritual being who is beautiful in this community. Our passion is to see the glory of God known through us, through the way we love one another, through the way we are, through our bodies, through how we treat the Lord himself, Christ will be honoured in everything that we do. This is Paul's. I mean, this is, this is big boy Christianity. This is like grown up Christianity. This is not 101, how you squeak through the door. This is, this is a depth of relationship with God and the depth of awareness of this kind of beauty in the spiritual realm that is that is not 101. Yeah. And then he says this, this is one to memorize if you haven't. Paul says, for to me, this is why I can say all this, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Literally he says, for me to live, Christ. To me to die, gain. What he's saying is essentially, if I'm living, I get more of Jesus and telling other people about Jesus. And if I die, I actually get to meet him face to face. So either way, it's a win-win for me. To, to live as Christ is this, is simply to make, say the, the meaning of my life is about Jesus. Gerald Hawthorne says this, to say living is Christ is to say that for him life means Christ. Christ and Christ alone gives him inspiration, direction, meaning, and purpose, and existence. Because he says in verse 22, because if I'm to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for you. And he says at the end, so that I can come to you and tell you more about Jesus so that you get more joy. More Christ, more joy. I'm just going to keep spreading this kind of joy. And yet, if I'm dying, he says, verse 23, I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ. Why? For that is far better. We're going to kill you, Paul. For ten oh, that's all right. That's, that's far better, actually. So thanks. You're really doing me a, a great help there. And you can't touch this guy because his joy is not in the circumstances of this world. Commentators point out that Paul's writing here becomes quite staccato. It's quite kind of choppy and back and forth and he repeats himself and it's a little bit convoluted and this is a man who is a clear thinker he's an intellectual writer and you read it's kind of like where's Paul going here he's going round and round in circles because he's in this moment of like indecision he's, he's thinking about these options you know what would be better for me to live or to die and we've all had those moments I think where we've been faced with choices and there's been stress you know at work and there are things going on and if you're under stress you might like your head might not be totally straight or logical but this is, for Paul, this is not like the stress of indecision. 
This is like the joy of indecision. This is for him being like a kid, being given £100 and being sent into Hamlet to be like, go treat yourself. Paul's like, well, I could stay and I get Christ, I could die and I get Christ, whichever way it's a win-win because I get Jesus. This is how to start moving into an uncorruptible joy. So what is, what is Christianity? It's, it's basically this, it's an invitation to find a, a deeper and greater joy than what the world's circumstances can, can offer us. Paul says this later. He says in chapter 3, verse 7, he says, Whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. He says, indeed, I count everything as a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. It's for his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order what? That I might gain Christ. Says whatever gain I've had, the accumulation, all the experiences, all the money, all the all the things, all the relationships, all the experience in life, all of this gain, compared to the gain of Christ, I count that as rubbish. It's, it's letting go of one type of happiness to take a hold of a better type of happiness. That's the offer of Christianity. Well, that sounds like good news. That sounds suspiciously like good news. That's why we call it. Good news. <laughs> We've got happy news to offer London. Isn't that amazing? I like to cycle places when I'm when the weather's nice. I'm a fair weather cycler. I'm not a hardcore cyclist. I'm like when the sun's out and I can put some shorts on. I like cycling in places. And I got given quite. I think it's a great bike. It's, it's a specialised Langster single speed. If any of you are cyclists out there, I mean, he's done like serious miles. This guy was a proper serious cyclist. Gave it, and I love it. And I love bombing around London on it, I like going places on it. And, and oftentimes, as I'm going places, I pass a Ferrari garage. And I have to confess, it's turned my head basically every single time. And because uh, there's always new cars, and there's like the sales guys like parking it outside and moving them back. And, I mean, and they look amazing. I, like, I, I wouldn't say no to a test drive, or if anyone wanted to give me one, I wouldn't say no. But, <laughs> It's not going to happen. Anyway, in this hypothetical scenario, just imagine like I'm parked at the lights on my bike. You know, there I am, sweaty, going off to meet someone for coffee or whatever. And just imagine a scenario where a salesperson comes out and says, hey, we've seen you cycling past quite a few times. We have this one day deal. We've got this new Ferrari. It's like got all the mod cons on it. And if you're happy, if you're willing to let go of your bike, we will give you the Ferrari. Just like imagine with me for a moment. It's hypothetical. Like how, how, how long do you think it would take me to decide, do I keep my like 20 year old bike or do I take the brand new Ferrari? Like no strings attached, so like, well, like, it's just a bike. No, no, you, you let go of the bike. If you're willing to forgo the bike, you can have the Ferrari. Like it's a no brainer. Yeah, I'm not going to take too long. I'm not going to like get prayer partners together and say, guys, I've got this big decision. Just don't know which way to go on this one. It's like, no, 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 it's fine. I'm throwing the bike away. Like, I don't care. What, what do you want me to do with it? I'll throw it in the bin right now if you're going to give me the keys to this Ferrari. For Paul, that is essentially how he's living. That all of the best of life that he has, symbolized, as it were, in this bike for this moment, some of you don't like cars, so my apologies. Think of something you do like. But all of you, everything is symbolized in this bike right now. You're like, okay, I've got this, and yet infinite joy is offered to me in Christ Jesus. 
What are you going to hold on to? Are you going to hold on to the lesser or are you going to take hold of the greater? Are you going to hold on to what is already slipping through your fingers anyway? That is dissatisfactory anyway? That is not going to go with you through death anyway? Or will you take hold of Christ who will bring you an overflowing joy in his beauty that will last in this life and in the life to come and will get increasingly more satisfying? That's our offer. And this is what Paul is living with. This happy indecision. So let me just ask you this question. From chapter 1, verse 21. Paul says this, For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If you were to finish this sentence, For to me to live is... Dot, dot, dot. How do you think you would fill that in? Like, if someone was watching your life, how do you think they would kind of assess, well, yeah, that person, to me to live is... Like, what is the, the bike that you're, like, living for? Job, ambition, there's a certain lifestyle that you want to attain to, that everything is really building towards. Think if I can just get this relationship, family, house, money, holidays, if I could just get all of that in place, then I would just be happy. We all tend to be building towards something that is just beyond us, trying to manage and arrange our circumstances to give us a happiness. What, what is it? I can just be honest with you for a moment because church is a good place to be honest in. But like, I wrestle with this one. I ask myself this question. You know, to me, if I was going to say, for, for Daniel, for to me to live is corrupt, for me to live is... What actually is, is really pressing close to the position of Christ in my life? Because they could be really good things. And I think if someone looked at my life and I looked into my own heart, if you ask Toria, you might say, well, for Daniel, to live is... Trinity Church London, building a church, you know, being about God's mission, which is it bad? No, it's, it's good stuff, but it is not Christ. Christ is a being who sits beyond us, above our circumstances, who is at the heavens at the right hand of the Father right now, and he is the one who my soul needs to find happiness in. So my temptation is always to pick up the bike, I'm looking at the Ferrari, and in my weird stupidity and sin, I'm saying, nah, I think I'll keep the bike, thanks very much. And I'm so tempted to continue, jump back on the bike, and cycle past the Ferrari garage. And then the, the offer of Christianity is like, no, just leave the bike and pick up Christ. Whatever it might be, is there's a continual reorientation that needs to happen. Because the world is preaching at us right now, and you're going to walk out again, and there's going to be more messages given to you, that here is the offer of happiness. Pick it up, take it, taste it. Here is joy. And we need to continually take the bike and just put it down and pick up Christ. This is what Christianity is about. And here's the thing. So when we, when we begin to walk like Paul and we begin to think, okay, uh, if I did dare to let go of the bike of my life, and if I, if I did look to Jesus, what do you find? You, you, find a, you find a man who is almost in this life unbearably beautiful. Amen. You, f- you find a man who is blazingly attractive in his nature, in his face, in his kindness. But you don't find a man who is just still sat in heaven. And I'm not talking about Instagram beauty, by the way. I'm talking about the beauty that, that made Peter, John, and Paul fall flat on their faces because of the moral purity of this man, Jesus. 
This Jesus, he, he doesn't just sit in the heavens while we get after him and try and find our joy in him. He doesn't say, let me just watch on and find out who would really let go of their bike and come after me. Actually, what we find in God himself is a being who steps off the throne of glory and who comes down to meet us so that he may be found and that in his grace and service we might be given a joy in the body of Jesus Christ. Because chapter 1 flows naturally into chapter 2 in Paul's mind where he has this incredible hymn that we're going to look at next week that speaks about the eternal God in Christ Jesus stepping down from heaven, emptying all of the riches of heaven and coming down into earth. Last week we sang this song. Jesus, let me just read it, I'm going to get it wrong. What a gift of grace is Jesus, my Redeemer. It says, there is no more for heaven now to give. He is my joy. That all of heaven has been emptied and Christ has come down so that we might receive his joy. And when Jesus lived on the earth and he came close to us, you asked him, what is it for you to live? He would have said, he did, Matthew, Mark 10, 45, for to me to live is to serve you. To come and die for you, so that you may enter my joy. Amen. And he would have said to you, for me to die is, is gain. Because Isaiah 53 says that in my death, I'm going to gain you. And so he comes and he makes you the source and the goal, so that we might find him the source of all of our happiness. And as we come and celebrate the Lord's Supper, we gather around Jesus Christ, symbolised in the bread and the wine. What we're doing is we are coming to a God who is already rushing towards you. He said, I'm not going to wait for you, but I'm coming to give you joy. So as the band come back up, I'm just going to ask us just to pray for a moment. I'm just going to ask us to stop and think and just ask yourself this question. How, how would you honestly answer this, end this sentence for to me to live is? What is it in your life that even in a moment like this you would say, this is, this is the thing that I need to, to drop? so that I might get hold of Christ. This is the thing I need to repent of and turn from, so that I may get Jesus. And you may not be a Christian. You may be on the edge and looking in. and It's exactly the same invitation. What is it in your life that you think is stopping you from taking hold of Christ with both hands and receiving this flood of joy in your soul?